30 separate times about every 10 weeks on this podcast over six years, I picked five stocks. I chose a theme that made sense to me at the time, sometimes sublime, sometimes silly. And then I thought to myself, what are the five best recommendations that I can come up with for stocks that fit that theme? Aiming, of course, always to beat the market, the S&P 500. Otherwise, hey, why are we bothering? Then one year later, we review the picks. And then another year passes, the two-year review. Yep, two years later, we never forget. We hope you wouldn't also. We score everything transparently and accountably because we're fools. You should expect that of us. And then the three-year review, which is going to be the most telling. Why? Well, first, because three years have passed since I picked the five stocks. We really can be smarter about what has happened and why and what we can learn. That's the smarter part, but if I've done my job well, then we'll also be happier and richer too. Now, that three-year review is also telling because most of the time we end the game right there. We're going to keep holding those stocks in real life, mind you. You should too if you own them, but if I kept reviewing all 30 of my samplers in years four and five and six, well, we wouldn't have time to do much else on this podcast 30 separate times I've picked five stocks, what I've also called my five stock samplers. And we're going to review two of those samplers today. Five stocks that will press on and five stocks for conscious capitalism. Review them we will with my guest star, Emily Flippin, only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Excited about our review of Palooza episode two, past five stock samplers, five stocks that will press on. Let's see if they are. They still have an opportunity to press on further. That one, two years old now, the game being played for three. The second, five stocks for conscious capitalism. And when the market closed on a pretty strong Friday last week, that ended the game, the five stock sampler for Five Stocks for Conscious Capitalism. Full guest star Emily Flippin will be joining me very shortly, and we'll talk through the 10 stocks, actually really the eight stocks, because a couple repeat, which is kind of its own point, which maybe I'll speak to later uh, in just, just a little bit. It's been a fun month for this podcast, kicking it off with mental tips, tricks, and life hacks. And last week, of course, being joined by Kara Chambers and Lee Burbage, talking through their 10 greatest company culture tips of all time. I hope you enjoyed that. And it's a reminder that we have a mailbag episode later this month. In fact, there are five Wednesdays in November. Check it. And so the fifth and final one, November 30th, will be this month's mailbag. If you already find yourself with a question, it would be good to send that in now. rbi at fool.com is our email address at rbi podcast on Twitter because we will be recording our mailbag the Monday before that Wednesday because, well, Thanksgiving and travel. And so it's a little bit of a shorter week for us this time. So get your mailbag questions in rbi at fool.com. All right, Emily, how you doing? 
I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on today. You're welcome. And thanks, by the way, for being one of our employees who tends to come to the office more so than some others, me included. But I'm just delighted. We, you and I are in original Full HQ here in Alexandria, Virginia, in our studios for this one. That's why the sound quality is a little bit up. And perhaps the conversational quality will be a little bit elevated as well since we're in person. I like to think so. I will say this is an excuse for me to leave my 700 square foot apartment. So really, you're indulging me by taping this in person. (laughs) Well, we had a lot of fun last night because you and I and many other fools were at the Hawk and Griffin in Vienna, Virginia, where we had a member meetup. We taped Motley Fool Bunny and Emily, you were interviewed on it and I was as well. And that will appear, I think, this coming weekend for Motley Fool Money fans. But did you have a fun time last night? Oh, it was a blast. Again, a reason to get out of my apartment. Not something I do very often these days. Uh, More importantly, uh, an opportunity to meet some of the faces behind the names that I see behind screens. I think uh, any Motley Fool subscriber in a 50-mile radius was invited. Um, So it was such a treat to see how many people actually took time out of their days and their lives to come join us, talk to us. Always a really enlightening and fun experience. One of my favorites was a woman who said, first of all, my name is Nancy Gardner. I'm not related to David or Tom. Uh, We wish we were related to you, Nancy, but her family, I think, was from Oklahoma. And she talked about the importance of buying. She said her question was basically, should you ever not be buying? And she was definitely, in a sense, preaching to the choir, because I think a lot of us in the pub last night believe that you should be persistently buying throughout the course of your life. And rather than just ask the question, she mentioned the story of her mom, her mom who lived to be... 109 years old. Can you imagine? I can't. I was delighted just to think that her mom's last name might have been Gardner as well. I'm not sure. I just, I wish we had those. Maybe we have those genes, but but 109. And, and what was great about that story is Nancy said she kept buying through her hundreds. The last stock she bought was when she was 106. So she was buying. It's a reminder that A lot of us, if you make a commitment to invest for your whole life, I hope you do well enough that you'll have something left for others. And so you really are, at whatever elevated age any of us makes it, you really are, in a sense, investing for what comes after you. And it was great to see. I I think she definitely won the Best Gardener in the Room award last night. (laughs) Certainly. Emily, you did a good job talking about an interview you conducted recently that will be featured uh, I think for our Fulapalooza All Hands All Company event, which occurs later this week. I, I assume that will eventually make it out to our members as well. Yes. Yeah, so employees will be hearing it this Thursday, but for uh, listeners who are, um, I guess, Motley Fool Money listeners, they'll be hearing it over the course of the next couple of weeks, uh, segments from that interview that I believe Chris and the team will be sharing. And who was the CEO you spoke to? Yes, the CEO of Chewy, Sumit Singh. Uh, He's not the founder of the business, but he's been the CEO for a number of years, and he led the company through its IPO just a couple of years ago. Uh, The business, in my opinion, is an incredible one. And I I say that mostly because I'm a pet parent, and I I do use Chewy services way more than I'd care to admit with a very picky cat. Uh, But the business itself has gone uh, through a really incredible transformation. The investments they've made in transportation and logistics, competing against some of the largest organizations in the world by putting a focus on culture um, and a deep understanding of their customer. I think that's where Chewy truly shines. So one of my favorite things to do is to have the opportunity to remind people that this isn't pets.com, right? This isn't trying to disrupt Amazon. (laughs) This isn't trying to convince you that you never need to shop in person again, but that uh, niche 
online e-commerce operation that really understands its customers and what they need can succeed in this world. Ticker symbol is CHWY. It's fun to talk stocks in this podcast no matter what. It's not in either of my five stock samplers. And in some senses, it might be good that it wasn't because just looking back over the stock, well, this is really kind of the tail of the tape of the last three years. But I'm seeing right now, Emily, three years ago on this day, Chewy was trading around $22 a share. Today, by the way, 43 So a double over three years. And I think all of us would take a double every three years all the time. If we could do that with our portfolios, the compounding would be amazing. But the stock did rock from 22 three years ago to 120 somewhere around the start of 2021. And so for it to be down from 120 to 43, this does feel like a lot of stocks that you and I are interested in and have recommended. We'll see some of that with the sampler coming up, but it's been very volatile. Uh, extremely. And a lot of that is, I hate to talk about the pandemic when we talk about the performance of businesses. Everybody knows what happened over the past couple of years. And it's way more important how a business has run their internal operations, in my opinion, than what has happened in the environment around them. But very much that rocketing was an explosion of not only e-commerce shopping during the pandemic, but also pet ownership as people uh, moved back home and got animals to keep them company. And Chewy definitely benefited from that. But they've done an amazing job of creating really loyal and engaged customers. So if you're looking at that stock chart and you're thinking that this company is you know, dead in the water, that's definitely not what's happening. But you're also looking at it and thinking, oh, it's too late to get in on this. I still don't think that's the case. Uh, of course, disclaimer, I could, of course, be wrong about Chewy. But as a shareholder and as a user of the product, I can say I've been consistently impressed with the business. Two fun facts. The first is that Chewy's market cap we're not playing the market cap game show this week, so no quizzes for you this week, Emily. But choose market cap larger than I was thinking, $17 billion today. So yeah, this is no fly-by-night micro-cap operation here. It's a brand that a lot of people, and I know you're one of them, Emily, love, but it's not just you. So that's fun fact number one. Fun fact number two, this stock is actually up from a low of right around 22 to 43 in just the last six months. So this stock has doubled in the last six months. Very impressive. Okay, I'll throw in a bonus fun fact number three, because I'm just noticing this as well. The company came public in either May or June of 2019, so early summer. And the first day it traded up basically to the price where it is as we speak, right around $43 a share on that first big IPO day. So still early days for this business. But I will say, Emily, it's much bigger than I was realizing. Yes, and I look forward to those segments of the interview because you'll hear Sumit Singh talk about the long-term potential for that business. And he's always thought in years, not in months or quarters. I promise you, if you asked him, you know, what's the market cap of Chewy today? Or, you know, how, where's the share price today versus when the company went public? I would imagine he's the type of person who can't answer that question too accurately. Uh, but he is a person who is hyper-focused on how they can continue to maintain Chewy's dominance. And to your point, it's a large organization. It's the largest pet e-commerce operation in North America right now. They're expanding internationally or have plans to expand internationally. So I, I Again, execution is going to be key for this business, but it's one that I, I think should be on investors' radars. Maybe eventually it'll make it on yours, David. All right. Well, let's get to the first of the two five-stock samplers. We're going to do most recent to oldest, as is the tradition for Review of Paloozas. So two years ago, it was, it was November 11th, 2020. Just checking it as I pick five stocks that will press on. Emily, I'm going to ask you in a sec, do you remember what you were doing the week 
of November 11th-ish 2020. But before I do, I want to make sure that I requote the great Calvin Coolidge quote from which Press On was extracted. So it's, it's definitely one of my favorite quotes when it comes to just keep swimming. And here it was. Coolidge said, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men. We can say here people. It was an age where they said men. Than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius, Coolidge said, is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. That's a little harsh. But here's the great line. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan, press on, has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. Press on five stocks that will press on. Emily, do you remember what you were doing-ish November 11, 2020? Uh, my calendar will not let me forget, unfortunately, because that week I remember and the weeks following it where normally I'd be on my way to an in-person Fulapalooza event or headed somewhere for Thanksgiving. But with the pandemic, I was uh, sheltering in place, I suppose, in my apartment. And I had three mock exams for my level two uh, CFA exam. Ah. On that week, I um, had one at the beginning, one in the middle, and then one at the end uh, in preparation for taking that test later in the year. So not a particularly fun week for me, it seemed. I think obviously a lot of us want to make sure you you did pass ultimately. I did pass. I passed the level two exam and then I went on to pass my level three exam. That is incredible. Um, I'm very happy to be done with it, actually. I think I just passed my one year anniversary, my one year CFA anniversary, if I can call it that. And I'll tell you what, I have blacked out many of those memories. Um, very happy to have my social life back and a bit more free time. Wow. Congratulations, Thank Emily you. Flippin' CFA. It, it is. That is something that I suppose I can say now. <laughs> In rather, Although I don't often. <laughs> in rather extreme contrast, I myself was celebrating that week the release of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, <laughs> which is an excellent video game. Like so many video games, I still haven't actually finished it, but it is a remarkably good game of the Assassin's Creed series that many of us probably won't know because not everybody is nearly as geeky as I am. It's maybe still my, my favorite. But anyway, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I do see I had a happy hour that Friday with my friend Bobby, but now as I look back, I realize, well, it was just a, a Zoom happy hour. We weren't actually together because that's kind of how things were in November of 2020. And five stocks were picked that would press on. That was certainly the hope. And Emily, I listened to last year's episode where we did the one-year review for this group. And the stock market was up something like, yeah, 32% that year. I'm now reporting two years after these stocks were picked, and the S&P 500 is now up 11.5%, so significantly lower. Of course, we've all seen the S&P lose about a fifth of its value here in 2020. So I guess it's not surprising, but those halcyon days when we could look back and say, wow, the market in one year was up 32%, a third of its value. Yeah, we talk about the long-term performance of markets, right? 9 to 10% annualized. Very rarely does the market ever return 9 to 10% in any <laughs> single year. Um, generally, you'll have crazy years like we were experiencing back in 2020 when the market's up more than 30%. And then years like 2022 when we're seeing drawdowns of 25 30%, um, even in some of the broader indexes. So it's just part of being an investor. 
All right. Well, the bogey that we are competing against here is the re return of the S&P 500 after two years, 11.5%. So we're going to look over these five stocks. Always like to start with the worst performer. And unfortunately, it's nearly a tie for the two worst performers, both down pretty substantially. It hasn't been a great two years for both Echolab, ticker symbol ECL, and Zebra Technologies, ticker symbol ZBRA. Both of these stocks basically round to being down 27%. Technically, Echolab has done worse, minus 27.4%. But Emily, that puts them both basically 38 percentage points or so down to the market averages. Let's start with Echolab. What do you see when you look back over the last two years at this company? Well, like with everything, as I was saying earlier, it's really hard to give a description of the performance of companies that were picked during the, I don't say the peak, but during this crazy, unusual year we were having in the pandemic. And the pandemic did dictate much of Echolab's subsequent performance. Uh, but I'd like to focus on the business itself for this analysis. And I think this is where the market has maybe punished this business in comparison to some of its peers. And that's because this management team has made some really interesting, heavy investments in a way that has been unusual for the historical performance of this company. So for investors who are unaware, Echolab is a business that sells products related to water, hygiene, chemicals, sanitization, selling mainly to industrial enterprises, retail space, food service establishments, any place that needs to clean, um, there's a good chance that Echolab has a relationship and can sell products to those, those needs. And at the same time that they're experiencing this really choppy sales cycle as a result of the pandemic, the company was massively increasing its expensive expenses in order to t obtain product innovation. Now, they have the flexibility to do that. To your point, this is a business that will press on. It's not going anywhere. Um, but those investments in the technology upgrades they made, their sales team, the infrastructure, it really hurt the margin picture of this company. And for what is normally perceived to be a really stable performer, those slow margins decreasing, the little eataways at its financial performance has certainly been punished by the market. It's also worth noting that their longtime CEO, Doug Baker, did step down as CEO to retire and brought in a new management team. They've been executing well, but the market doesn't like that instability. Well, the stock was at 210 two years ago this week, now around 150. Uh, I have many stocks that are down well more than that. So down 27% after two years, frustrating, certainly. Never like to lose any capital. But this is a bigger cap company, and it's a little bit more of an unsinkable Molly Brown. I don't think this company is going to go away anytime soon. It was founded in 1923, by the way, just checking back on this. I think I spoke to this in the first episode two years ago, but the name was Economics Laboratory. It wasn't, you know, ecology or anything related to the environment or cleanup. It was actually Economics Laboratory in 1923 by Merritt Osborne. This company is headquartered in St. Paul, Minnesota. So, Echolab, a disappointing couple of years. It's a company that we're going to hear about again. So, Emily, don't share everything about Echolab because it's picked the second five-stock sampler we'll be speaking to in a sec. But I like a lot of things about this business. It certainly has held up better than many of my real rule breakers out there, but um, always disappointing, of course, to see it underperform. Let's talk a little bit about Zebra Technologies. Uh, this is the barcode company. This is the company that does barcode readers. I still see barcodes everywhere. It seems an important part still of our society. It is a stock that I hope will press on. I do regret to say, though, it was 356 two years ago. It's around 260 today, so also down 27%. Again, the market up 11%. 
So what's happening in Zebraville? Well, I want to say um, in the year after your pick, Zebra was actually on an absolute tear. So from November 2020 to November 2021, in that first year, the stock increased more than 75%. Don't remind me. Yes. That was outperforming the market. We talked about what an incredible year that was for the market. That was still 40 percentage points or so above the market performance. Uh, so virtually all of its underperformance now has come since November 2021, which many investors know was um, the peak of the market for many of these investments. Mm-hmm. Um, the reasons I think it struggled so much is there's just so many questions about the forward-looking investments that this business is going to benefit from. There was obviously a lot of pull forward in terms of large enterprise demand for Zebra's products. A lot of companies were investing really heavily in upgrading their supply chains, their logistics, their infrastructure. All of those investments dramatically benefited Zebra, but it did pull forward a lot of sales. And the company is now looking at a declining, very slowly declining, but declining net sales growth over a year-over-year period, uh, which is certainly being punished by the market today. They also had a little bit of a patent dispute with Honeywell, which cost them upwards of $360 million, Mm. uh, degraded their bottom line just a little bit. All of these things, though, I mean, we're talking about temporary challenges. I expect this company will will have experience that pull forward, experience a couple of quarters of lackluster growth, of which we're seeing the market pretty heavily punish them before returning to growth long-term. This company's been around a long time. Emily, quick quiz. This is unfair. It's a pop quiz, but that's the nature of pop quizzes. Which is a larger market cap, Chewy or Zebra? Chewy. You're right. I wouldn't have guessed that before this episode, but since we just talked about Chewy and we talked about it having a $17 billion market cap, yeah, Zebra is $12.5 billion today. The stock, as you mentioned, was it $250 a share when I picked it two years ago? It went to $600 after one year. That's where it started this year, by the way. It topped just at the start of this year. And today, from $600 down to $260 or so as we speak, it has been a really tough year. And yet, that's part of pressing on. The tough years will come, fellow humans, whether it's in your own personal life, in your career, or with your stock market portfolio. I think it was former football coach, coaching great Vince Lombardi, who said, paraphrased, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. We will hope the same for both Echo Lab and Zebra and your portfolio and mine and everybody listening, because part of pressing on is just keep swimming. And by the way, the market has been perking up in recent weeks. Have you noticed? I have. I noticed it last Friday in particular, although I'm not getting my hopes up. I I tend to ignore those day-to-day fluctuations. Well, one fun fact I learned about you at our event last night, Emily, at the Hawk and Griffin in Vienna, Virginia, is that I'm exactly twice your age right now. That was not true until now, and it won't be true going forward, but I'm 56, Emily, you're 28, so I I definitely don't want you to be dispirited by what's happening or too short-term because you're going to be around on this planet for such a long time. Yeah, this is, I'll tell you what, this is an amazing experience for me. Um, This market pullback, obviously extremely painful and it's hard. The pain that I experience is mainly seeing the impact it has on our members, other investors. Well said. But I, I didn't quite know what to expect from myself entering into a protracted market pullback. And not to say that this is the end of that. We can go through another year where things get even worse. That wouldn't be overly surprising. Um, But I'm pleasantly surprised that I have not yet panicked. And I think part of it is that I haven't had the time to panic. (laughs) On the Molly Pool, we keep you awfully busy. busy. (laughs) So 
So it's it's been nice, though. Um, I can't wait till I can talk about this time in, in retrospect, remembering how we felt, and whether it be March 2020, as we're talking about today, or how we felt throughout the course of 2022 when we were seeing massive drawdowns in our portfolios. Um, I, I think it's going to be a learning experience for myself one way or the other. Thank you for speaking to these life and times. And again, talking to someone who's 28, who's already so well-versed, has a great mindset and such a positive outlook and loves the stock market and helps our members every day. It just makes me happy to be a fool. Emily, let's move from the darkness of underperformance to uh, the shining beacon of hope and light in this five-stock sampler so far, ticker symbol ODFL. The company is Old Dominion. Freightline, this company was at $198 a share. The stock was two years ago this week. Today, it's gone from $198 to $317. Now, like some others, it was once higher than that. But given the underperformance we're featuring this week, I'm pretty happy about a stock that's up 60% over the last two years. What's been happening right at Old Dominion Freightline? Yes, I will want to specifically say, if you're thinking about this business as a less than truckload carrier, you're probably saying to yourself, well, of course, it outperformed. I mean, everybody's ordering stuff online now. But I will say, this is not a macro story. This is not Old Dominion benefiting from a ton of people ordering goods online. This is, in my opinion, 100% an executional success by this company. Um, The reason why it's performed so well is because they've expanded their operating ratio so effectively. They've generated a lot of operating leverage. Uh, Management most recently reached a 75% operating ratio, which for, I'd imagine, most of us listening, we're not truckload analysts. So you probably don't know what that means, but it effectively means they generated a 25% operating margin, which is absolutely stellar in this industry. And management set up their long-term goals to increase that actually to 30% operating margins or an 80% operating ratio. And they're doing this by just expanding the pricing power they have with customers with an incredibly resilient, transparent, and effective business model that has some of the best rates in terms of on-time delivery in the market today. So this is 100% Old Dominion's management team seizing an opportunity as it existed and executing on it in an absolutely stellar fashion. So I'm not sure if they're going to have quite the tear that they had over the next couple of years as they have over the past couple of years. It'll be really interesting to think about this business a year from today. Um, I know we think about it a lot in Stock Advisor, but I will say it has dramatically outperformed even their other less than truckload carriers just based off execution alone. So I, I wouldn't you know, count this one out. Really love this company. It was founded in 1934 by Earl and Lillian Congdon, a single truck that they drove back and forth between Richmond and Norfolk, Virginia. So From there and then to now, this company has a market cap more than the combined market caps of both Chewy and Zebra Technologies at $34 billion, a regular advertiser for Major League Baseball I see these days. It's it's not really a brand that I still think most people would recognize. And we have heard about some of the slowdown of the supply chain and how people are not necessarily ordering as much or aren't getting as much stuff. So I don't know, ultimately, as a trucking industry non-analyst, I don't know whether that's good for less than truckload because you're not filling up the whole cab, but you're sending it seven different ways. And that's part of the magic of this company is that they're incredibly good at logistics. I've often mocked the phrase tech stock because I don't really know what is or isn't a tech stock. No one's really defined that for me. And so for my earliest days, I think when Tom and I were first appearing on CNBC in the 1990s, 
I was like, please don't use that phrase because Walmart's a tech stock. The amazing amounts of technology that Walmart brings to make its business competitive every day is technology driven. Well, that's certainly true of Old Dominion Freightline as well. Anyway, 60% gain for the stock against the markets, 11.5%. So really happy to call that a plus 49 in the win column. But I'm sorry to say, at this moment, two years in, the overall basket of stocks here, and we'll mention the other two in a sec, is up 3.8%, the market up 11.5%. So presently, the good news is these stocks are pressing on. They're actually up. As a group, they're up 3.8%. The bad news is that doesn't matter to me that much if we're underperforming the S&P 500. So we'll need more, more of the press and more of the on here <laughs> in the third and final year of this five-stock sampler. Now, the, the other two stocks are not really much changed. In fact, Canadian National Railway is dead on with the market up 12% against the market's 11.5%. Surus Logic, ticker symbol CRUS, up about 1%. Do you want to say anything about Canadian or Cirrus before we move on? Yeah, I'd love to comment on Canadian National. Um, so this is a kind of an interesting relationship. Again, maybe you're familiar with this relationship. Uh, this is the first time I've heard of it. But Motley Fool contributor John Brommels pointed out that if you look at the performance of Canadian National against the broader markets over some more recent time periods, right, the 10-year, 5-year, 3-year time periods, the performance of Canadian National actually follows in pretty close lockstep with the performance of the market itself. And I found it kind of interesting when you look at the performance of your five-stock sampler that this holds <laughs> true for this group of stocks as well. You're absolutely right. In fact, there it is. It's up 11.9% with the market up 11.5% over the last two years. But my golly, I'm looking at the 10-year chart, Emily, and you and John are exactly right. The S&P 500 is up about 180% from November of 2012. The stock is up about 180% from November 2012. If you dial it back longer, Canadian National Railway has been a major market outperformer. This is a company that I like a lot because it wins over the only term that counts, the long term. But even if you're just matching the market's pace over a long period of time, first of all, as a shareholder, you're just sitting there without having to pay any capital gains from one year to the next, pure compounding. Second, stock today pays a dividend of about 1.8% as a dividend yield, $2.15 per share. So you're actually, I'm not including dividends in these returns, so you're getting paid above and beyond the S&P 500's return. So this has been kind of like the industry itself. Just think about railroads. Think about the long term. Think about the importance of this business in the 19th century in the 20th century, and surprisingly, or not, still in the 21st century. What a substantial and important business this is. As long as we're turning this into a slight market cap game show of a review of Palooza podcast, Canadian National has a larger market cap than the following companies combined. Old Dominion Freightline, Zebra Technologies, and Chewy. If you add those all up, something just below the $83 billion market cap of Canadian National Railway. Well, enough fun with market caps. I've already delivered the punchline before this moment when I was supposed to deliver the punchline, but this group of five stocks, Emily, is pressing on, but presently behind the market. If we looked where they were a year ago, we felt great, and I'm sure hoping a year from this week will feel great again. So along with Coolidge, to these companies, to all listening, and to all other stocks, especially the ones that you and I own, I say press on has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. 
All right, now onto our second and final five stock sampler. We'll be reviewing this review of Palooza podcast. Emily, that is five stocks for conscious capitalism. Now, the date was 11 13 2019. Again, the same week of November, three years ago. Gotta ask you, do you remember what you slash we were doing? That week. I unfortunately do. And I say unfortunately because on the 13th, which was the day before our annual company retreat. Right. The Wednesday when these stocks were picked and Fulapalooza started on Thursday. Thursday. Um, I did go out with my friend to celebrate her birthday that Wednesday night and stayed out much later than I had intended to. <laughs> and then had to wake up very early the next morning to drive out to Lansdowne, Lansdowne Resorts, I yep. believe is where it was, yep. um, to come for the, the company retreat. I will say uh, we had hotel rooms for that retreat. I took a little nap before we got into Good any move. of the, the events, and I felt much better later in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm seeing on my calendar with golf clubs. I wrote drive to Lansdowne, which is a resort in uh, in the state of Virginia. And I think that was that the last time I've played golf. Maybe so. I realized for some, golf was a great pandemic sport. I guess I was just too locked down, or I'm just not good enough at golf to go play on a regular basis. So I did at least have my golf clubs along for that particular week three years ago, this same time of year. And on that Wednesday, pretty much exactly three years ago this week, I picked five stocks for conscious capitalism. Now, conscious capitalism is a phrase I've used many times in this podcast. For some newer listeners, I will briefly break it down for you in case you're not familiar, but you should know that I'm on the national board of conscious capitalism. I'm very proud to serve on the board of directors uh, for many years now. And I'm a huge fan of the concepts that underlie conscious capitalism, which, in short, are, first of all, we believe that business is a very powerful force to elevate humanity. Not everybody necessarily thinks of business that way, and indeed, not every business has acted that way over time. But we don't have to invest in every business over time. We just we have the opportunity to pick the best businesses of our time. And in my time, and yours too, I hope, Dear listener, you'll recognize that there are some companies that do a beautiful job winning for all of their stakeholders. Typically, employees love working at these companies. Customers love buying from them over long periods of time. Partners and suppliers are retained and cherished relationships. And by the way, these often end up being the stocks that outperform the other stocks because underneath these stocks are businesses run by real people and some people flat out just think better and act better than some other people. And those are the people that I like to invest in. So conscious capitalism, which believes that serving a higher purpose, and that's something The Motley Fool does. We don't tell our employees, Emily, I don't think when you onboarded, what year was it for you? I want to say 2018. Yeah, now you were a summer intern, right? I was a 2016 intern. I, I left The Fool for about a year to go finish my education, then came right back. Yeah, now you don't remember our CEO, Tom Gardner, ever saying the reason we're here today is to just maximize shareholder value. We're <laughs> it's here. never happened. The purpose of our business, well, I mean, we would love to make a profit. And ironically, perhaps, the businesses that serve a higher purpose often in their industries do have the highest share of profit. That's something to pay attention to as an investor. But yeah, the purpose of The Motley Fool is to make the world smarter, happier, and richer. We are a purpose-driven enterprise. This is not just true of for-profit businesses. How many not-for-profits are also purpose-driven enterprises? How many people are purpose-driven people? These are generally the people that I want to be invested in and with. So that's a really unfair, quick, short course on conscious capitalism. But when it came time to pick this sampler, 
I mean, I had just been at the Conscious Capitalism CEO Summit in Austin, Texas the month before. It happens every year in October. So three years ago, I probably had that on the mind as I sat down to pick five stocks for Conscious Capitalism. Now, once again, how has the stock market done? How's, how's the S&P 500 done since November 13th, 2019, closing out last Friday? The answer is it was up 28.9% over those three years. And if you think about that, and you think about a 9% or so annualized return, and you multiply that by three and add a little bit of compounding, it's almost an exact straight-up market-expected return. 28.9% is kind of like... 9% annualized over three years or so. So it was a very average three-year market. Yeah, that's an interesting takeaway. You know, I, I didn't look at that and make that same judgment. But I think part of the reason why I have a skewed perspective on this three-year time perspective is because that 29% <laughs> um, was very different at various points <laughs> uh, over the past couple of years. You bet. Whip sawing way up and then way, way down and but when you take it all in all, and this is true over long periods of time, not necessarily three-year periods, it averages out to about this. So it is interesting to note that this three-year period was about average, as unaverage as it felt. So let's start with the worst performer of these five. Now, the worst performer of these five stocks for conscious capitalism, we've talked about it a little bit already. I hope you have something new for us because Echolab... Also an underperformer over the two-year period. I guess I'd taken a shine to this company, and I guess I now regret my timing, even though I still love the company, what it does. Echolab down 18% over these three years. That's a loss of capital when you compare it to a market that was up 29%. We're talking about a minus 47 percentage point alpha to start out this five-stock sampler conversation. Minus 47 in the whole what new perspective do you have for us about Echolab? Yes. Well, one of the points I want to make, and I tried to avoid getting into this too much earlier because it applies much more to looking at the performance of this company from November 2019 to November 2020. And that's okay. the pandemic. Obviously, when you made this pick, um, you did not know that the world was going to experience what it did over the course of the following year. And investors may assume that because of the nature of Echolab's business that they benefited from the pandemic. And interestingly enough, a a lot of their, the vast majority of their sales, in fact, go to things like food service and retail locations. And the slowdown with the economy and, and the early part of the pandemic actually resulted in a significant portion of their business being turned off, despite the fact that hospitals and all these new establishments were investing in sanitation equipment and other cleaning supplies. Mm. Uh, it did not make up for the massive decrease in demand that existed in the hospitality industry. So Echolab actually suffered greatly as a result of the pandemic. And more importantly, that was exacerbated by an inability to meet the demand that was there because of the supply chain constraints that existed across the world during this time period, as well as competition, as everybody started to get into Echolab's markets, at least on the smaller products, right? Like hand sanitizers, um, sanitization equipment, stuff like that. So suddenly the world shifted for Echolab overnight. And that was very characteristic of what the business experienced over the course of 2019 to 2020. An also interesting note pre-pandemic is uh, an interesting, but maybe more controversial acquisition this company made was of a company called Champion X. It was an energy business that sells products for drilling and fracking. They actually sold off that business after a period of underperformance in December 2019. And as we know today, that was likely poor timing after underperformance in the industry for so many years. The energy industry is actually performing performed incredibly well uh, since that period. So bad timing on a couple of notes here. 
Do you know who Echolab's largest shareholder is? I don't. It's Bill Gates. Whoa, I had no idea. It's true. He took a large ownership about 10 years ago, and uh, I'm just seeing a Barron's article right now talking about him scooping up more shares this August. I will note largely because of the last year, he's underperforming over the 10 years since he took a very large stake in 2012. But, but you know, I, I think that he's often thinking about the future of the planet and what what's going to work. And so it, it makes me feel good about Echolab, even though, unfortunately, this five-stock sampler closed out last Friday and Echolab will be historically recorded as the biggest loser of this particular five-stock sampler. So thank you for some additional info on Echolab. And I might as well mention now that there's another stock, as I mentioned earlier, that was also picked in this five-stock sampler for conscious capitalism. That's Old Dominion Freight Line. And while it's not the top performer, Emily, I thought I'd give you an opportunity to say something more about Old Dominion Freight Line here. Good news, it's up 142% over those three years against the 29 of the market. That's more than 100 points of alpha above, yeah, the market's return. So thank you, ODFL. Any additional thoughts on Old Dominion? Certainly. And I like the context of 2019 versus 2020 for this business because 2019 was actually a slowdown in trucking. And Old Dominion has made a name for itself by being very strategic with when it spends its capital, investing money to acquire assets at lower prices when there is a slowdown in the industry. They have the capitalization to do that. So 2019, was a year of reinvestment for this business heading into 2020. Um, even with the slowdown, they invested heavily in expanding their capabilities. So when the pandemic did happen, they were actually very well positioned to handle the influx of demand, all because of the investments they made in 2019. And 2019 was a time when not that this business ever really performed incredibly poorly, but there's a bit more pessimism about their near term. Uh, so yeah, I love businesses that see those near term headwinds or the struggle and make investments that allow them to better uh, capitalize on opportunities in the future. And that's exactly what Old Dominion did, which is part of the reason why your, your recommendation in 2019 versus 2020, I think is outperforming by something like 100 percentage points. It is. And it's it's delightful to note this. And I guess there's a, a quick meta point to insert here, which is that for both of these distinct samplers really toward different themes, one kind of long-term businesses that will press on, another looking at I would say maybe a newer age view of business. You know, who's really doing good out there? And two companies, at least in my mind, two and three years ago, qualified for both lists. And I think the meta point is that sometimes your best new stock might be the one that you already own. And while it's regrettable that Echolab underperformed while Old Dominion outperformed, if you think about it, and we've now done the numbers for both samplers, counting performance above or below the market for the first one, Old Dominion was up 49 percentage points over the market, while Echolab was minus 39. If you net that out, you're happy. You beat the market. And for this one in particular, again, sad story, Echolab 47 percentage points behind, but Old Dominion plus 113 percentage points on top. So in both cases, even with a loser, we came out on top, not by trying to always come up with new tricks, but by just going back to some companies that we get to know better over the course of time. So the meta point here is consider adding to the stocks that you already have without always figuring you need to add new stocks. I love good diversity, but it's also true, Emily, that over the course of time, if we're investing in companies for you, Chewy would be an example. You get to know it better over the course of time. You've actually gotten to interview the CEO. Many of us don't get to do that, but you get to know your stocks and companies 
better the longer your association. And so your knowledge is deeper. Your confidence is deeper. You probably feel less fear in uh, times of, well, bear market, which we've all experienced here over the last year. Any further thoughts on the meta point? Well, just that as you were speaking, I was thinking of one company that I've gotten to know pretty well over the past couple of years, who I feel like has broken my trust (laughs) in recent quarters. Um, And I was getting a chuckle from it. And it's Roku. I mean, a business that I have been a fan of for so long, a big believer in Anthony Wood and the strategy that business has taken. But in the last couple of quarters, I started to wonder to myself, do I actually know this business? Um, Yeah, this strategy has changed. I'm not trying to, you know, bring Roku through the, the Coles here, but just to say that, yeah, my my understanding of the business was maybe not as strong as I initially thought it was. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that just because that has been a long time rule breaker. One I did pick for Motley Fool rule breakers, one that was a spectacular multi-bagger and yet has lost so much value over the course of last year, very regrettably. And it does appear in some of our five stock samplers, including some that are still going. So we'll talk about Roku another time. But, you know, it is true that as you get to know companies over over time, sometimes, A, you start to realize you don't understand them that much or the world keeps changing. It's hard to keep up. Or B, sometimes you realize this isn't as great a company as I thought. Maybe I should sell it. So it's not to say that you should always hold every stock your whole life long. The longer you get to know something, I hope, like a good spouse, the more you love it. But sometimes breaking up is the right thing to do, at least with some stocks. Well, this is just a rough patch for Roku and I. Hopefully we'll get through this. I hope so, too. All right. Well, those were the two stocks that recurred, including the biggest loser, Echolab, once again. Let's now move to the best performer in five stocks for conscious capitalism, Etsy was at $40.68 in November 2019. Last Friday, it closed out at 115.64. So good news, Etsy shareholders. You were up 184% over those three years, again, against the market's 29. That's a plus 155. Spoiler alert, that's enough to put this one into the win column as it prepares to ascend to full hella, which we'll do in a little while. But Emily, what's been happening with Etsy? Well, I will say, if you're looking at the performance of Etsy today, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, that's a win. But if you're a shareholder of Etsy, there was a point during this five-stock sampler that you were up more than 600%. Um, And just over the past year alone, Etsy's share price has lost nearly 60% of its value. Astonishing. So in in some sense, you are happy looking at that performance. But if you actually were along for the ride, I wouldn't be surprised if there are listeners holding Etsy who are thinking to themselves, well, this was a bad investment, purely based off of how the business has performed over the past year. Well, I mentioned earlier, I listened to the podcast as we reviewed this one last year, Emily, and was I gloating? I hope I wasn't gloating too much, and I sure shouldn't have been. The stock was a seven-bagger when we reviewed this one year ago this week. That means it's up 600% or more, up seven times in value. So you're right. A lot of people who own Etsy Uh, Don't like Etsy very much because starting at its peak in December of last year, it dropped from 300 to where it is today at 125. Think about that. I mean, you already put the numbers out there, but this is a company that's lost almost two thirds of its value in the last nine months. And yet it's the number one performer for three years, having almost tripled for investors. So I think implicit in the story of Etsy is kind of rule breaker investing. It's being willing 
to get aboard something that's analogous, let's say, to catching a tiger by the tail. It's going to be quite a ride. And, you know, if that tiger is fast and good and strong, it's going to be a win over the course of time. But holding on to its tail wherever you're headed can be really volatile. So what we have here is over the only term that counts, the long term, this has been by every measure a huge winner ever since we started to feature it early days of the market cap game show. And certainly before that, for Rule Breaker members, this stock has been on our scorecard for a long time. And in a number of our portfolios and other services, Emily, you and I were speaking about that before we started the podcast today. But for a stock that has a market cap today of $14 billion, to think that that's down two thirds from where it was nine months ago. I mean, I feel a sense of promise and hope going forward. And my good pal, our producer, Rick, talks about how much he loves Reverb, which is part of Etsy's business, having purchased a company that lets you buy and sell musical instruments and other musical accoutrements, which Rick really loves. Right, Rick? I love Reverb. I, uh, I buy and sell guitar pedals and things like that all the time. And it's, it's basically become like a, a, I don't know, a new hobby. Is it the only real site of its kind or experience of its kind or just the best? Or give us a little bit more about Reverb. There are a few other options out there. Uh, Sweetwater has a program. You know, you can buy and sell things on eBay or Craigslist or things okay. like that. But, yeah. but Reverb is really set up to make the transaction smooth and easy. So I don't need to, like I can contact a buyer or a seller, uh, message them or whatever, but the transaction's taken care of for me. You know, I pay a little bit to have that done, but I'm happy to pay it. So yeah, it just really makes the transaction easy and it makes the experience great. Rick, were you using Reverb before it became cool because Etsy bought it? I think so. I'm actually not sure when Etsy bought it. I've been using it for a while and I was surprised to find that Etsy owned it and happy as an Etsy shareholder. Um, it made me love the service even more. So Emily, positive notes about Reverb. A couple of recent acquisitions, though, dragging Etsy down? Yes, I think when you're looking at the performance of Etsy, it needs no explanation, no re-explanation about why it has performed so well. But I think a lot of investors are wondering, okay, so what's happened with that 60% drop? And Etsy did have a lot of success initially with the Reverb acquisition. And they launched a strategy called their House of Brand strategy, which is uh, making good on the Etsy namesake marketplace, but also making investments into other niche marketplaces, really creating a culture of execution you know, that Etsy has created with their with their core platform into other avenues as well. Their biggest acquisitions being Depop, which is an apt app clothing shopping streetwear app aimed at uh, Gen Z users. And then Elo7, which is a Brazilian-based uh, e-commerce marketplace, very similar to Etsy. And both of those investments have not gone according to plan. Now, a lot of that is the macro environment, but the business doesn't break out a lot of great information about their performance. Hmm. I think if it was good, they'd probably be telling us more about them. But we do know they have written down more than a billion dollars in impairment charges on the goodwill that they acquired as part of making those acquisitions. So it's fair to say those have not panned out the way that Etsy has planned. Granted, that doesn't mean they can't you know, turn around in the future. Well, and I think earnings were good earlier this month. And indeed, I mean, we're talking about volatility up and down in such a crazy manner here, just thinking about the last three years. So, you know, disclaimer put out ahead of time. These are unusual times, but Etsy is up 40% this month. I mean, the stock was down at a, just below 90 on November 2nd. And here you and I are talking basically less than two weeks later, and it's up 40%. 
Uh, volatility is the name of the game with Etsy. And as you mentioned, they did have earnings that uh, the market did appreciate. Granted, I think the market, to your point, was pricing in some, some dismal results that did not manifest for Etsy. They did have a price increase earlier this year. They increased their transaction take rate, which angered a lot of their sellers on the platform. Ultimately, it didn't manifest into any sort of attrition, not noticeable attrition at this point. But the transaction volume year over year on the platform, on the Etsy platform, has fallen while revenue is up because of these increase in take rates. I think it's fair to say they can't keep raising prices if transactions are falling. Uh, but again, a lot of this is because of the macro environment. So, you know, circling out, you know, thinking about the next three years for this business, it's hard to imagine Etsy being a less relevant platform than it is today. Have you ever sold anything on Etsy? I have not sold anything, but I have bought more than my fair share, certainly. You don't have to pay the take rate when you're the purchaser, right? You're, the take rate is, Not of course, the, increased one, no. uh, the amount that you have to give Etsy from your transaction as a seller. Yes, and still below that increase in take rate, still below the competitors. So, for example, Amazon Handmade charges, I think, nearly twice as much as Etsy in terms of their, their seller take rate. So it is still competitive, but nobody likes when prices are increased on them. So I understand the frustration. <laughs> All right. Well, the other two companies that are somewhere in the middle here in between the dramatic ups of Etsy and Old Dominion Freightline and the dramatic down of Ecolab, would you like to speak to either Salesforce, which is down 3% over these three years, or Next Era Energy, which is up Huh, 46% over these three years. I'd love to comment on Next Era because yesterday at this member event that we were talking about earlier, I made a comment on stage that we don't buy investments for any certain economic climate or any certain political climate. But in this case, Next Era has benefited from the political climate over the past couple of years. Uh, very rarely do we see regulations have a tangible impact on businesses, especially ones that persist over long periods of time. But Next Era has really benefited from the Biden's administration investment in clean energy. So they're benefiting a lot from the tax breaks that they get. And given how much money this company has reinvested into building clean energy facilities, that is a massive win for this company. Should do good things in developing their pipeline long term and their ability to generate a lot of clean, renewable energy. So that is a business that is still firing on all cylinders. I thought it was just interesting to see some of the uh, potential business benefits as a result of the change in policy. But necessary disclaimer, and the reason why I say we don't pick stocks depending on regulation, is that it it doesn't take much for those incentives to change. We see them change generally whenever uh, the political climate changes. So I wouldn't say that you should bake in those expectations to your investment thesis, but it is nice to see a little bit of benefit coming to next era. Couple more notes about this five stock sampler before we provide the final numbers. One is that Next Air Energy had a four for one stock split in October of 2020. It wasn't the only stock that split over these three years. Old Dominion split three for two, March of 2020. Emily, how excited do you get about stock splits? I didn't even know they split until you just <laughs> let me know, David. <laughs> yeah, we don't really care that much about stock splits here at the Motley Fool. There are some people who get very excited about a four for one split or a 10 for one split. We've seen the Apples and Amazons do that. Uh, in recent months. So the analogy we've always used is which pizza do you like more? The one that is four pieces or the one that's the same size and is now eight pieces? And the answer is it's the same pizza. It I'm going to eat all really. of it regardless. There you go. <laughs> so that's one note, just a couple of stock splits for this sampler. And then the other note is that I actually had the pleasure of providing this sampler on television. When I appeared on Wealth Track with Consuelo Mack in various public television markets, she didn't know that I would later be presenting this as my five-stock sampler two weeks later. But for anybody who wants to go back and watch me present this on TV, it was the November 1st 
2019 episode of Wealth Track, the only of my 30 five-stock samplers that I initially debuted on television before bringing it to this podcast. Anyway, let's get to the final numbers here. These five stocks taken together from November 13th, 2019 through November 11th, 2022, last Friday, were up as a group 75.7%, the market up 28.9%. Therefore, we win. And that's a special phrase to be able to deliver in 2022 when most of my review of Paloozas have been close to depressing. But this particular one makes me feel great that despite the extreme volatility, and Emily, from ages 25 to 28 for you, you saw something that many people twice your age hadn't really seen before, this kind of volatility. So you're right. It's marking you and a generation. And I hope you recognize volatility happens, but winning does too. And I'm delighted to note that this group of stocks, well, really each one, if you average it out, was, was beating the market by 46.8%. So we give a win for conscious capitalism since I'm on the board. I kind of was putting it out there. Like, it wouldn't look great. It's not a good look if I put out five stocks and I say conscious capitalism works and it matters. And then if they were to dramatically underperform, but I'm really glad that they dramatically outperformed, especially through these volatile times. So, Rick Engdahl, thank you for your comments on Reverb. And Rick, we're going back to you now because it's time to send five stocks for conscious capitalism the way of all five-stock samplers it ascends with a hard blue glow of victory haloed over its head to full power. All right, well, that's it for another Review of Palooza episode. If you found yourself moved in any way, shape, or form, did we make you smarter and happier and richer, or did you get dumber, less happy? Did you lose money over the course of this podcast? We'd love to hear from you. On this month's mailbag, rbi at fool.com is the email address. Before I let you go, Emily, holidays coming up. Do you have any fun travel plans around Thanksgiving or the holidays? Well, oddly similar to what I was doing in November 2019, my, my only plans are to drive down to South Carolina for Thanksgiving, which means that I'm going to stay late for the Casino Royale happy hour here on Friday night Excellent. for Palooza, and then get up at four in the morning on Saturday <laughs> to make that 10-hour drive. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds delightful. And you are referencing... Uh, our annual all-hands meeting here at The Fool. We talked about it earlier in this podcast. We call it Foolapalooza. Last year was purely virtual, understandably. I think the year before that as well. But this year, there's some hybrid elements. And we do have here in Alexandria, we do have a Casino Royale afternoon into the evening on Friday. I will see you over the craps table. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Next week, well, it, it'll be a week of gratitude. It's something I try to do once a year in this podcast. I think I first started in 2020. I think I called it Gratitude 2020. Did it last year. So Gratitude 2022 on next week's Rule Breaker Investing. In the meantime, fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.